On this episode of This Week in Linux, we've got a lot of audio-related news this week. We've got new releases from the, the digital audio workstation Ardor, a new release of Pulse Audio, AV Linux, and we've got some interesting news from Fedora about potentially switching to Pipewire. In app news this week, we'll check out the latest release of Blender and celebrate 25 years of GIMP. Linus Torvalds commented on using Linux on Apple's new M1 Mac, and we'll talk about that. And we'll round out the show with a new product from Pine64, a soldering iron, of all things. And there has been a new interesting thing from a distro merge between Sabion and Funtu. So all that and much more coming up right now on your weekly source for Linux GNU's. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean and by Bitwarden. More on those later in the show. Welcome to episode 127 of This Week in Linux, a weekly Linux news podcast, a part of the Destination Linux network. I'm your open sourcer of Linux news, Michael Tunnell. And if this is your first time watching, this is the show that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world. And I'll give you my take on the latest topics using my over 20 years experience as a Linux user. Before we get started this week, we do a little real quick housekeeping section. First of all, I want to let you know there's a new podcast on the Destination Linux network called GameSphere. You can go to gamesphere.show to subscribe on the RSS feed, or you can just use whatever podcast app you want to. It's, it's in basically every podcast app at this point now. So go to gamesphere.show to check that out. And also, there's the there's a video I just released on the Hux Digital channel for the five reasons why KDE Plasma is the best desktop environment for me. So if you're interested in that, check it out. Because I've talked about being a KDE Plasma fan for a very long time. And now I finally give you reasons why that I am. So check that out. I'll have links to both of those in the show notes below or and also in the video description. A first in the show this week is Blender 2.91 that has been released. And it is, if you're not familiar with Blender, Blender is fantastic. It's one of the best examples of open source software. It has been around for a very long time. It has been used for all sorts of stuff, including making uh, motion graphics for movies and 3D modeling for professional usages, just so many awesome stuff. Uh, Blender is fantastic. It's a free and multi-platform 3D creation software, but it also does a ton of other stuff, including video editing. So if you want to check that out for that, there is that option. Although I will say that if you want to get into video editing, it's not really meant for that. So it is a little bit... Uh, uh, unique in the way it does video editing. So there you go. But this latest release of 2.91 has done a, a lot of improvements. They've added a property search feature. Uh, this also supports uh, fuzzy searching. It has improvements to the cloth simulation. So it's got better cloth sculpting with collision support for the sculpt cloth brush and filter. New simulation targeting property for uh, simulating cloth effects. And so if you're not familiar, the reason why cloth effects is are important is because they're... They're very important for displaying the kind of like a natural flow of of like clothes and that kind of thing. Because if you are, you know, you have a lot of animation with the characters, but the clothes are rigid, it kind of pulls it away. So it makes it feel more natural. And that's why cloth uh, simulation is so important. Also, they got a new script uh, sculpt trim tool for cutting and adding geometry using box and lasso gestures. And also there's new boundary brushes for controlling the shape of mesh boundaries. And there's also an improvement to the modeling, to the curve and text objects by introducing support for custom bevel profiles and so much more, including support for controlling uh, UV smoothness in the preferences, which is something that people have been wanting for a while. So that is really awesome to see. Uh, Blender is just a fantastic piece of software. If you've 
you've never tried it, there's tons of great tutorials that show you how to do it for all sorts of stuff where you're doing 3D modeling or, gra or motion graphics or uh, basic or video editing. There's all kinds of stuff available online. So check those out if you're interested. But I will let you know, it is a bit of a, of a learning curve to get started with Blender. So if you really want to dig in, it'll be a little, it'll be a kind of an interesting barrier to entry when you get started, but it is worth getting started because Blender is just fantastic. So if you wanted to get into 3D modeling or motion graphics or whatever, Blender is a fantastic option for that. So check it out. I'll have links in the show notes below for 2.91 release of Blender. So up next in the show, let's talk about the 25th anniversary of GIMP, the GNU Image Manipulation Program. Or as it was called 25 years ago when it was announced, uh, Peter Mattis wrote a message to several news group announcing a new image editor called GIMP, or the General Image Manipulation Program, which was before it joined the GNU project. And once it did, they changed the general to GNU, and that's where that comes from. And the GIMP is designed, they say that GIMP is designed to provide an intuitive graphical interface to a variety of image editing operations. Now, this is actually really interesting because at the time most of the applications for Linux were command line programs or text user interfaces which were powered by incurses and that sort of stuff so it was actually pretty game-changing to do to focus on a graphical image editor at the time so that's one of the things that makes you know GIMP so interesting has been around for so long and because they started doing their own graphical layout they also created their own toolkit for the GTK, which is the GIMP toolkit for those who are not aware, because right now uh, GTK is, is created by GNOME, and you might not be aware that it was originally created by GTK. So it's maintained by GNOME, in, invented by GIMP. And there's also been a lot of interesting things that's happened over the years. For example, are some developers from Hollywood that decided to start the writings of what became a new image processing engine called Gaggle. And there's all they also helped helped kickstart the Libra graphics meeting and a bunch of other stuff, including creating an animation project called Zamarmit, which was to make a positive feedback loop for involving artists and developers inside of the Libra graphics world and that sort of stuff. And also, I want to talk about like there's just a quick moment for quotes from this latest blog post celebrating the 25th year of GIMP, and that is. They said that every day we are one step closer to completing the boring yet extremely important work of refactoring GIMP to make way for great new things. Things that we've been meaning to do for a long time, things that users have been expecting for even longer. You know, the next 3.0 release of GIMP is doing a lot of cool stuff that I'm super excited for. So, they, you know, that's also whenever that we don't know when that's going to happen, but it is something that I'm looking forward to seeing what comes from this as application. So congratulations to the GIMP project for meeting 25 year milestone. It's, it's fantastic that you're able to do that. And I look forward to the future. Up next in the show, let's talk about something that uh, Linus Torvald said about the new Apple M1 Mac. So, because in a in a message board, someone asked, "What do you think of the new Apple laptop?" And Torvald said that he'd absolutely absolutely love to have one if it just ran Linux. He says, "I have fairly fond memories of the 11-inch MacBook Air that I used about a decade ago." Uh, but moved away from it because it took Apple too long to fix the screen. And by the time they did, I moved on to better laptops. Apple had moved on to make Linux less convenient. He says that Apple may run Linux in their cloud, but their laptops don't. I've been waiting for an ARM laptop that can run Linux for a long time. The new Air would be almost perfect, except for the OS. And I don't have the time to tinker with it or the inclination to fight companies that don't want to help. 
Now, this is interesting because, like, I completely agree with uh, Linus on this thing. It the the M1 Mac looks very promising, and being an ARM based uh, laptop is very interesting because using this architecture, a lot of people wanted has been wanting a long time for a, for a lot of people anyway. They've been wanting a lot of uh, powerful laptop that's powered by ARM which is, you know, pretty much unheard of. Most ARM-based laptops are like Chromebooks or, you know, very low-end types of, of devices and hardware. So having a very powerful version is very interesting to a lot of people. So can the Apple M1 run Linux? Well, sort of and no. Like, it's interesting because it could, but it won't. The Apple M1 is based on ARM, and Linux runs well on ARM. It's probably the best thing you can put on an ARM-based system. Apple has been making ARM chips since uh, the iPhone 4, which is about 2010. But chips used in popular ARM boards are chosen for inclusion because of their openness and often mainline Linux support, not the other way around, whereas in the case of Apple, they don't really seem to care about that kind of thing. And Linux has had similar issues with a lot of Android phones, especially with like low-budget or entirely in-house manufactured phones, like the majority of MediaTek or the high-silicon-based boards and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's pretty interesting, but the problem with Linux support, Apple has implemented a variant of the Secure Boot in their bootloader that only allows their software. But advanced users can upload custom signatures, compiling and signing a certain Linux kernel will make it work on these devices, and Ubuntu has been providing signed kernels for years as well as other distros like uh, Fedora has signed kernels and that kind of thing. And self-signing all new kernels shouldn't be expected to be happening, but the internal sources at Apple stated that they are not forbidding Windows from running on the machine but rather letting Microsoft, giving Microsoft the choice of whether to do a port of Windows to this chip or not. So they only, they've only responded about the Windows support, but in the sense of Windows, they're just basically saying it's up to them to do it. So I would assume that's the same policy that they're going to be doing for Linux. And But driver development is almost always technically possible but with no public documentation for chip internals. The process of reverse engineering this could take a very long time. And also the support would require CPU drivers, system-on-the-chip drivers or SOC drivers, drivers for all the other board components, and a bunch of stuff. So it kind of creates an issue where can Linux support M1 or vice versa? And the answer is yes, it could, but it is not likely to happen soon, if at all, without Apple's support and participating in making it happen. It's interesting. I think it'd be it'd be very it'd be very cool if this laptop would run Linux because that's the only re way I would be interested in using this laptop. And I think it's very interesting to see uh, Linus Torvald's perspective on this particular topic because it, it'd be if Apple well if they changed their ways and moved into actually being you know participants in the open source you know ecosystem they are they sort of do make open source software. But they kind of just inherit the stuff they do. That they just inherited it, and they don't really care that much, or at all. Because I think the M1 Mac would be a fantastic solution for running Linux, because of the fact that it's based on ARM. But of course, that would require Apple to participate. And who knows? Probably not. But maybe someday. 
This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new app platform service, which is a solution to build modern cloud native apps. With app platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites quickly and easily. Simply point to your GitHub repository and let the app platform do all the heavy lifting for you. It has support for multiple languages like Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, and much more. DigitalOcean runs their app platform on their own infrastructure, so your costs are significantly lower than with other products. And they built this new app platform on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup by switching to the app platform. And as a listener of the This, this Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. And in fact, it's better than free, really, because you can get started with a 100 hundred dollar free credit by going to do.co slash dln again you can go to do.co slash dln to get started with your 100 dollar free credit on digitalocean's new app platform and we want to thank digitalocean for sponsoring this episode of this week in linux up next in the show is the latest release of Ardor 6.5. If you're not familiar, Ardor is a digital audio workstation. It's for some for people who want to record, edit, mix, master audio, uh, MIDI projects, and that sort of stuff. If you want to create music, Ardor is a fantastic option for that. And the latest release adds a bunch of new features, including some big new features like the ability to support plugins that use the VST3 format. Now, VST is the plugins for uh, audio manipulation and audio digital uh, workstation stuff like that. There's also VST3 is the latest generation of that. This supports the PreSonus VST3 extensions used by SoftTube Console 1 plugins, also con uh, control surfaces and other devices. There's also been a lot of other improvements for better, better handling of MIDI encoders. They've reduced the amount of work when multiple locate commands are issued in a very short time. They've also added some sessions that are marked as dirty if a meter type is changed during the production. Uh, improvements to various different details for signal path latency computations. They've also added a uh, linear fades are now used when you're crossfading loop end and start points. Uh, the, they've also made some changes to the wave and AI FF files so they can now include session metadata tags using ID three V two tags and wave info and all sorts of stuff like that. If, if this is not something like if this is a little bit over your head in terms of like what all these stuff means, that's just, but the, our door is a very powerful application and it's also over my head as well. But I'll have links in the show notes below for the latest release notes so you can check it out and learn more about it if you'd like to. So Ardor 6.5, links in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Pulse Audio 14.0 has been released. If you're not familiar, Pulse Audio is a fun fundamental core of a audio server system. So it's a way to basically make audio work in Linux. And it's the, the this Pulse Audio is used by every distro at the moment. And this, this latest release of Pulse Audio has done a lot of changes, including significant routing changes to default syncs and sources. They say that previously when the default sync changed, new streams were routed to the new default sync, but existing streams stayed on the old sync. Now streams are moved from the old default sync to the new one as well. And that's some pretty interesting things that'll make it a lot easier to do certain fee, uh, certain uh, switches. And also they're doing, make, moving a stream to the default sync removes the manually routed status of the stream, making it a cleaner experience. And also if a sync changes status to available, streams that prefer the sync move there automatically, these same changes have been applied to like the source stream routing as well. Now these things are kind of like the under low level type of thing related to Pulse Audio because Pulse Audio is a, to is a topic or a project that 
that is not typically talked about because it is a low level project and it's it's very important and it's been around for a very long time but it does have some of issues it does have some issues in terms of like some latency things and you know very low level latency is not as practical with using pulse audio but it does provide the vast majority of the value that the desktop audio experience has because pulse on a, on pulse audio on top of also makes the current structure of linux now if you wanted to do more low level stuff then there'd be jack and that sort of stuff as well as pipewire in the future so that'll be interesting but this latest release of uh, pulse audio also has new rescue streams option in the daemon configure configuration file so the daemon.conf it's a new uh, Boolean option for rescue streams was added to this, which is if it's, it's set by default truth, but setting this will disable the stream rescuing. So if something goes wrong, it will uh, automatically just rescue thing. It'll always save the sync and save the stream from, from being corrupted. So that's really awesome. And also they've done some inter interesting improvements to automatically switching to HDMI now, uh, having that disabled by default. Uh, so if you, for some people who want to have uh, systems, when you plug in an HDMI, it would switch to it. So if you plug in a monitor that had speakers built into it, you'd switch to it and get the HDMI output and it would take over. And that would be very irritating for some people and for some configurations. So they've made that not happening by default. Uh, so that's awesome. Uh, they've also done better support for uh, USB gaming headsets. And they've actually now made it that flat volumes are now disabled by default. And now this thing is very good to have happen because this kind of creates some issues uh, previously it created some issues in pulse when you had certain applications take over the audio and change the different levels and volumes and so flat volumes means the overall volume adjusts to the loudest application and this could be dangerous because some programs like zoom will just set the volume to 100 percent, basically taking every other thing back up to 100 percent. even if you lower the volume for a particular reason it would just overwrite that and create an issue and now this new change for the flat volumes being disabled by default means that will no longer happen which i am very happy to see because that is something that has been quite annoying in certain certain cases for various different applications including zoom so yeah very nice to see that also there's been a lot of bug fixes and stuff like that so but there's there's so many things to talk about because it's a huge major release. So if you want to learn more about it, I'll have links to the show notes for the release notes, uh, for, for Pulse Audio 14.0 in the show notes below. Up next in the show is something that I think is super interesting and I can't wait to see what happens with this because Fedora is considering switching to Pipewire by default. So for those who are not familiar, this is also along the lines of the audio server stuff because Pipewire is something that the Red Hat team have been working on for several years as a replacement for Pulse Audio and Jack. So Pulse Audio is the thing that most people use because it is the desktop experience to audio servers. And then Jack is the more pro-level stuff with like low latency and that sort of stuff. And both of which are good for what they do, but they're also limited as well because Pulse Audio has been around for a long time, but it's it's never been focused on pro audio and it's never been focused on low latency. And when you have Jack, which does do those things, it's also pretty complicated to get started with Jack in even just installing it and configuring it, much less, you know, learning how to use it and that sort of stuff. So it creates an issue. And this Pipewire project is to overhaul the Linux uh, audio stream management system. So they're basically trying to replace Pulse Audio and Jack 
all in one and that is fantastic so i can't wait to see what happens and i and fedora is considering switching into it is very exciting to me so they're also engineering pipewire with Wayland and flatpak security in mind from the ground up which is fantastic and the developer uh, wim Taman says that uh, in pipewire each client can have different per permissions on the objects in the pipewire graph so you can have control over what a client can see and do it gives you permissions to control the microphone the speakers the camera volumes and even ports so it allows you to restrict monitoring as, as well if you want to it's so many it's so cool things and uh, basically it's it's the basics are the wheel to like kind of unify the needs of pro and regular audio users, provide an interface to pass uh, audio streams between applications that would greatly improve the experience of desktop streaming or screen capturing or that kind of thing. Lots of cool benefits to considering this switch. And on the compatibility note, Pipewire uses a functionality uh, compatibility uh, implementation so that the Pulse Audio daemon will be able, still be supported for various applications. That means that existing Linux software should continue to work just fine, which is awesome. And there, and Fedora is talking about that in version 34 may ship Pipewire by default in place of Jack and Pulse Audio. This is very cool because I, I'm very curious to see what happens there. It's still just being considered right now. It hasn't been finalized yet by the Fedora Engineering and Steering Committee, but I'm very interested to see what happens because I, I'm so hoping that Pipewire gets to the is is soon to the point where it can be a replacement because Pipewire has so much potential and so much promise, and it looks like it is what we've been wanting for a long time. So I, I can't wait to see what happens. And Fedora has already offered Pipewire packages for a while, but having it switched to default is, you know, kind of a sign that says that it's, you know, ready to ready to go in that sense. Uh, and maybe if it's if some people are saying that it's kind of like a mixed argument because on both sides, some are saying that it's 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 good. It's a good idea to do it. And other people are arguing that it's not really ready for a total replacement of Pulse Audio yet. So they're trying to say, like, it should be delayed a little bit instead of 34 to be 35. And I hope that it's uh, it's it is ready. But if it isn't, I understand the the the, the position to want to wait a little bit for the next release. But also you could argue that 34 would be a good option because it would get people to be able to test it, especially considering that Fedora is going above and beyond with even when they do try to switch it, they're, they're going to be having the ability to easily switch back and forth, which is awesome. So just by having one package, you can switch the system from the one implementation to the other. So you can go from Pulse Audio or to Pipewire very simply. And I think that is just awesome. So I think there's no if you have something like that makes it possible to easily switch, I don't think there's any reason to wait. Fedora 34 would be perfect because if it's a problematic thing, you could easily switch it back out. And I think that would be fantastic. So I hope that the Fedora team do decide to do it for 34 because the longer we wait, the longer it takes for Pipewire to become that you know ready-to-go replacement. And this might be a way to increase the speed of which it does. So for those who are not aware, let's go a little bit deeper about why Pipewire. So Pipewire can be supported for both desktop and pro audio. I talked about that in the terms of like being able to compare it with uh, Jack and Pulse. Uh, but Jack is, has a hard setup and some some distributions don't have very good integration with Jack, even when you do set it up. So it kind of creates an issue where the low latency might not be consistent. And Pipewire allows you to have a multi-processed, highly configurable combination of the two. 
And also Fedora stated that in the next phase, they expect to greatly expand the user experience and configuration of the audio infrastructure with better integration throughout the system. And I think that that's a great point about why Pipewire would be a great option to switch to. So it also offers like high performance, low latency, like I said, and enforces client uh, per client security, which is really cool because it makes it possible to enforce security policies for sandboxed applications like flat packs, such as denying access to certain audio capture devices or block them from interfering with other applications. And this is stuff that the current the current server structures is not able to do. And Pipewire is possible to do that. So that is awesome, which means there's be a lot more potential for the flat packs to be used for much lower level stuff and more powerful ap- applications that would be able to interact with the audio. And it also gives you control about not allowing certain audio being captured by different applications. So if they don't need to have it, then they wouldn't have that ability to uh, request for it. And I think that is awesome too. And also Pulse Audio and Jack don't really have that fast of a development cycle, whereas Pipewire has been as being maintained and developed much faster. And also they say that it's easier to maintain and develop it, which is a a really good thing because it's kind of like replacing the existing things with a new mechanism. And I've like Pipewire has been around in development for years and I've been, I was super excited the first time I heard about it. And I, I just, I hope that it is at the point where it can be a replacement because Uh, I've been wanting it to be a replacement for a long time. Not that there's anything wrong necessarily with Pulse or Jack, other than the things that I kind of mentioned. Pulse Audio doesn't want to go into the pro level, and Jack doesn't isn't bothering with trying to make it simple. And having them basically both of those things solved in one project just sounds awesome to me. And it's not even just about audio. Pipewire also enables video screen sharing and recording and Bluetooth and all kinds of stuff. And it even does so on Wayland. So I am super excited about Pipewire. And if you want to learn more about Pipewire, I'll have links in the description below for more about it as far as the the default switch for Fedora and just Pipewire in general. So yeah, links in the show notes below. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that I use and trust because it is a great piece of software and is also 100% open source software, which is a very important thing to me. At bitwarden.com slash DLN is where you go to get started with your free account, but also you can get the premium account for only $10 per year. That's right, $10 per year. In addition to all of the features that you get with the regular account, like a password generator, a password vault, uh, auto-filling of passwords, a pin system, which is really awesome, and also the ability to use it on your mobile desktop browser plugins and even the command line if you want to. You get all of those, but you also get a one gigabyte encrypted file storage, uh, two-step I'll log in with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP or Temporary One-Time Password Authenticator Storage and Generation, as well as Priority Customer Support, all of that for just $10 per year. Yes, $10 per year. And you get all of this, but also be able to support a fantastic piece of software with this open source password manager that, by the way, you can self-host it if you want to, which is an awesome thing. And uh, there, this is just a fantastic piece of software. I love use, I love Bitwarden. I use it all the time. And if you want to try it out, again, go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your free account or the premium account, which is only $10 per year. So make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN. And thanks again for Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. 
And just a quick note, the Open Source Security Summit, which is an event held by Bitwarden, is happening on December 10th. This is a global uh, virtual event. So if you want to check it out, you can help solve security challenges with Bitwarden. It's free to join. So just go to opensourcesecuritysummit.com to get started with more information. Up next in the show is the AV Linux distro because it has been rebased on MX Linux, which is a pretty interesting pivot. And they're going to be adding a bunch of cool stuff from MX Linux, like the MX tools and utilities, which is nice. Uh, but if you're not familiar, AV Linux is a multimedia oriented uh, audio and video workstation type operating system. And that is now based on MX Linux. Now, it's not an official variant of MX Linux. It's just currently based on it. Uh, it's also created by one person, which is very impressive. And it has a the Linux kernel 5.9. Uh, it has a custom uh, real-time preempt kernel for optimal low latency audio. Uh, it's kind of like a way to get a lot of stuff built in for you. Where you, if you wanted to try out something like uh, Jack and that kind of thing, you could use this distribution or Ubuntu Studio, for example, or Fedora Jam and those types of distros because they have those things pre-installed for you. So you get uh, Jack audio and MIDI environment. Also, you get Pulse audio integration with Jack and that sort of stuff. You also get KX Studios repositories included by default uh, for various audio applications. Uh, it has uh, CPU is governed by performance by default, so you get the low latency audio as much as possible, and a bunch of other stuff. Like they even have an illustrated user manual in this particular release, and also uh, they've got a lot of updates to Ardor. And they have a demo version of Reaper. Uh, audio Assault is included, as well as a bunch of other stuff, like not just audio stuff. It's also got like uh, Blender and Cinelara, uh, GIMP, Inkscape, Kdenlive, Olive, Shotwell, and a bunch of other stuff like that. So this is interesting in terms of like they, they decided to switch to, this is one of the two distributions we're talking about, and both of which move their base of what they're built on. So that's interesting. We'll get to those the next one later on. But uh, this MX Linux switch for AV Linux is interesting to me because MX Linux has been like the go-to uh, Debian fork, like kind of Debian-based distribution that's not, you know, other than Ubuntu, of course. But it is uh, it's a very popular one uh, that has been talked about on this episode, this show previously. And this is interesting that they're doing it because they have the audio-video uh, workstation aspect of it. And if you're interested in checking out a operating system built for that kind of experience, then I'll have a links to uh, AV Linux in the, in the show notes below. And also, might as well, I'll put the links for Ubuntu Studio and Fedora Jam there too. So links in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the Pine Seal, which is a RISC-V soldering iron from Pine64. Have you ever wanted a soldering iron with a RISC-V architecture built into it? I didn't either until I saw that they made one and now I want it, as well as seemingly a lot of people because it is now out of stock. So pretty much within like a day, within the same day, the, 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 the pre-orders being launched was also when the stock was sold out. So I was unfortunately not able to get it. Also, I'm not very good at soldering anyway. So even if I did get it, I don't really know what to do with it. But it's cool that you can get one, especially for $25 when they did this announcement. Uh, it's And it's based on uh, Rollums, Raylums, I'm not sure how to say that, RT, RTOS open source build that works on the TS100 soldering iron. So it, what it comes with is specifications. It has a processor that is a 32-bit RISC-V Bumblebee core uh, 32 gig, 32 kilobyte. Whoa, 32 kilobyte SRAM. It has a display that's a 0.69 inch uh, OLED monochrome display. 
It has a, a temperature range of 100 Celsius to 400 Celsius, reaching operating temperatures in about 12 seconds, depending on what, what level you pick. Uh, it has uh, expansion support for GPIO and G JTAG breakout board connections through the USB-C port. So this pine, this pine seal, which, by the way, love the name, pencil, soldering, soldering iron, pine from pine. Anyway, pine seal, love the name. And it's being launched at the $24.99 price, which has a retail price of $34.99, although it is already out of stock. So maybe the next like next time I, they, the pre-orders come out, I will make a tweet of it for anybody who wants that. So uh, be sure to uh, follow me on Twitter or on Mastodon. I'll put it on both. So I'll have links for those in the show notes if you want to follow me. But this, uh, this the twenty the twenty four ninety nine is a ridiculously good price. Actually, the thirty five ninety nine is also a really good price because there are some uh, competitors that are in the same kind of thing, and they will start at like sixty. So this is like not necessarily the Risk Five, but they they started like sixty for these kinds of types of uh, soldering irons. So that's pretty cool. And this is this is something that I didn't know that I want. Still don't know why I want it but I do want it. So if you want to check it out uh, for more details, I'll have a link in the show notes below for the pine sale from P pine 64. Up next in the show. And the last topic for today is a big announcement from the Sabion or and Funtu team. And that is that they are going to be joining together. So they're joining forces with the, uh, the both projects are basically merging together. Now they haven't specified what the new name of the project was, or if they're going to adopt the existing project names from whatever I would suggest uh, Sabion because that's uh, you know it's the more uh, the the larger project in the, of the two is that one uh, so I would say that's probably the better option as well as people know that that Sabion is the binary based uh, distribution so that you can kind of for, for, for those who are not familiar uh, Funtu is a distribution that was forked from Gentoo however it is also worth noting that the person who created Gentoo is also the person who created Funtu so the Funtu distribution was created uh, after the the developer decided to leave the Gentoo project and now and Sabion is a distribution that was created as a kind of like not necessarily a beginner friendly style Gentoo distro but a, a distribution that is Gentoo based that is more out of the box user experience than Gentoo is of course so uh, that's kind of what the two different distributions are for but that Sabion is actually not only just merging with Funtu they're also rebasing everything on Funtu and then doing the merge so I think it's pretty interesting that they decided to do this uh, also I just to be clear I could be totally wrong about how you say Sabion. I it's probably wrong. I have no idea. So anyway, I do think it's the better name to pick in terms of like the SEO aspects because it has a, you know, it's more widely known in terms of a distribution in that space. So uh, if you're wanting input about which one to pick, that one is what I'd go with. So there you go. If you want to learn more about these distributions or the new merged project coming soon, uh, I'll have links to it in the show notes below for the Sabion post as well as the uh, forum post from Funtu in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. Or you can order the Linux Save Over t-shirt to show people that it doesn't matter whether or not you know that Linux is there. It probably is. Go to dlnstore.com to check that out. 
And we also have ways to contribute at any cost to you by using our affiliate links. We have links for places like Amazon, Private Internet Access, Humble Bundle, and many more. Go to TuxDigital.com slash affiliates to check those out. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts, as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the Destination Linux network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. This show is a global show with people watching all around the world, which is amazing. And I realize that saying Eastern time is not that helpful for everyone. So I have a time zone converter linked in the in the show notes and in the description of the video. So that should make it easier for you to know what time start, what's the start time in your time zone. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Destination Linux Network. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux. And I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux. Good news.